I'm, I'm going to preach from up here so I can stay nice and far away from everyone. I, had, I did get my second vaccination uh, this week. Uh, it it kind of laid me low, cost me a couple days of work, and, um, but it was totally worth it. Um, and I really do believe that. It was totally worth it. So get your vaccines if you can. I've heard they've, uh, the state's opened up to 16-year-olds now, so you can get, it, you can get your teenagers vaccinated um, as well. So... Um, well, uh, good morning again, everyone, and welcome everyone watching online as well as everyone who's here this morning. Uh, I don't know how many of you uh, have tattoos. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. You don't have to out yourself if that's something you don't want your pastor to know. Um, although there really isn't a reason to hide it. Uh, it's not against our religion. Um, I know that there are some churches, I believe the Eastern Orthodox Church, they uh, don't, they discourage or ban tattoos for their members. We don't. We don't have any such rule. Um, I, I, I don't have one myself, uh, but I know a lot of people who do. I have a lot of friends who do. Uh, and if you ask why they got them, a lot of them are specific to very certain things. They might, be a, they might tell a story. They might talk about a person they remembered, a family member. Uh, some people I've met are just decorations. Uh, I know one friend... Uh, she, uh, she met the tattoo artist, and the guy had sketched out a zombie fairy. And it is kind of what it looks like. You know, the wings are drooping and whatever. And he said, I'll put it on you for free if you'll wear it. And, uh, and so she took him up on the offer. So to this day, you can look on her calf muscle and see a fairy with, you know, a skull hanging off or whatever. No big story behind that. But sometimes there is a big story. Sometimes they have to do with things that happened in life, right? A group you belong to or a Marine who has a, you know, a logo on or something like that. I've seen those. They ask me if I don't have one, why I don't. And I usually have to tell them, I don't have a big, great uh, story. I, I don't, there hasn't been one particular tattoo that has jumped out and said, Lars, this is the one you want to put on. Uh, so it's not a principal objection. It's just more, I just can't, I just can't figure out what I, which one I would want to do. Um, I know I worry about what they would look like on me when I get older, and you can laugh. Um, but uh, it just hasn't hit me. Um, but I, I think a lot of us can probably even remember back when tattoos were seen as kind of a sketchy thing. You know, it was kind of... Uh, it was something that, you know, bikers did and gangs did and, you know, maybe sailors got. And, uh, you know, it was always kind of like a, you know, polite society didn't get a tattoo. And if you did, you better hide it, right? Put it in an inconspicuous place. Um, and that's not entirely gone, I know, uh, even though they're more common. Uh, they'll still tell you not to get a tattoo on your face. I've met people and they've asked me, I said, don't, just don't do the face. Really don't do the face. You, there are so many jobs you will never get if you get that thing on your face or your neck, and they're like, oh, and I'm like, but I, I'm not worried about that. And I'm like, you're tw in your 20s, seriously worry about that. Um, I, and then I talked to a guy who'd been in federal prison, and he said, dude, even in prison they tell you don't get tattoos on your neck because you won't get a job. And I'm like, and you don't get a whole lot more sketchy than guys in federal prison. And if they know not to do it, don't do it. But, you know, nowadays, it's not this, you know, other than, you know, certain jobs. I, I know lots of people who do them. And your kindergarten teacher could be covered in tattoos. 
you know? I, I know Lutheran pastors who go and they'll get covered in tattoos. And, you know, so some I think do it authentically. Some are trying really hard to be edgy. Some pull off the edgy thing a little bit better than others. Um, but what's interesting is to see how we use these nowadays as a way to brand ourselves, to project an image of who we are, uh, to sort of tell the world about ourselves. And uh, what's funny is when you think about brands, you know, we talk about that these days. You know, you have a brand that you have to protect, and there's a logo with it and an image and a reputation. But if you go back to what a brand is, remember what a brand is? It's what we put on cattle, right? You had a big metal pole, and at the end was your little logo, you know. You say, say you came from the Billy Bob Ranch, you know, and you had your two Bs, and you'd brand it onto the, the cow, and, you know, it would go, Arr! it didn't like it. But after a few minutes, it went away. So, you know, some cattle rustler came by and took your cow and went to market. You know, the butcher would go, uh, uh, Jim there, you're from the, you know, Double Snake Ranch. This is the Billy Bob Ranch. I think you've been rustling. I better, uh, maybe I'll tell Billy Bob, he ain't going to be happy. And uh, that's what a brand was. It showed who the cow belonged to, who owned you, what ranch you were a part of. It was, it, it was where you lived. It was, it was who, essentially kind of whose property you were. And it was something given to you. It wasn't something you picked yourself. The cow didn't go out there and go, hey, Bessie, which one do you like? Oh, oh that's what we'll do. We'll be the MUU ranch, right? But now, now we try to brand ourselves, right? We try to sculpt that image of ourselves to determine for ourselves what, what we want the world to think about ourselves. So we'll, you know, we'll go on Instagram and try to get all those perfect pictures of us in, with Sedona sunsets on top of that bridge rock or, you know, show clever witty phrases to show how, how clever and witty we are to sculpt this image of ourselves as interesting people that the world would be drawn to and go, ooh, that's an interesting person. And then we essentially sculpt a brand. And then we put that on our online dating profile only to discover when somebody actually sees us that, wow, you looked a lot better in Sedona with that sunset than you do here at the Brugger's Bagels. But that's what branding is now. It's making yourself to the world. But I've always had this question in my mind then. How do I know who I am? How do I know what myself is? I mean, how, how, who, I've been so many different people through my life, through my lifetime, where, you know, that I'm not sure, you know, today, if I, if I would have gotten a bunch of tattoos back then, it would have been, what, trees and would have my whole arm covered in a flannel sleeve or something like that. And you wouldn't have noticed it because I was already wearing a flannel sleeve. But, I mean, you think of what we are as kids. What, what, you think, what are you going to be as a kid? I'm going to be a rock star. I'm going to be an astronaut. You know, um, and what do we end up doing? I'm accounts payable, and I fix cable TV. You know, do we know who we really are? Is that something we grow into? Or is that what we wanted to be, or what we thought others would approve of? Right? Is everyone, how many people look up to the accounts payable person? You may laugh, but when it's your paycheck, that person is God. Right? <laughs> And who cares who made a rap song? But how do you find out who you are? How do you find out what that is? 
Do you, do, you, do you go and abandon your commitments and go on a backpacking trip through Europe with a giant big, you know, army duffel bag and ride the Euro rail and hope that you'll meet Helga from Dusseldorf and she'll take you around the Alps and you will learn about the world. Is that how you find yourself? I have a better idea. Let's go back to remembering who we are and who we by finding who we belong to. And by belong, I don't mean belong in like a controlling, bossy way. I mean belong in being a part of a group, in, in, in being useful and wanted and having a place and having someone who identifies with you and says, you are mine. You know, I can belong to the Elks Club and I have belonging. The Elks Club doesn't own me, even though the, the head guy is the grand lord exalted master of Elkdom or something. You can correct me on what the actual name is later, but, right? He's not, my, he, he, he's, he's not my master. He's the guy who doles out charity and determines who gets to be in charge of the next fundraiser. How do we find ourselves, our true selves, not the self the world wants to give to us, or not the self that we think social media will reward us with, or what we think people will pay money for? How do we find out who that true self is? We find it by returning to where we belong, to the one we belong to, which is Jesus. We are made in God's image and we belong to him. And when we just start, start to discover who God has made us to be, we can discover who we really are. We can find our brand. So this is why I'm going to be doing as a sermon series for the next few weeks. I thought it'd be fun to take a little bit of dive into what it means to have our identity in Christ. To have our faith be not just something we do or a place we come to, but who we are. Our identity. Belonging to God. And so, uh, each week, you'll see, uh, I, I actually got an actual tattoo artist I know. Uh, his name's Nick James, works at State of Art Tattoo on Ina. Um, it isn't intended as a product placement. Get your tattoo wherever you want. Um, but I know him. He's helped me out with stuff in the past. And uh, so each week he's going to draw us another image for our bulletins. Uh, it's also the image, if you're online at home, it's the image on the slide, on the slide that I used. And uh, so I just handed him the theme to kind of run with it. And so today's theme is new creation from 2 Corinthians 5.17. And so he, he decided to go with the lotus flower and the way, it is, and the way it's reborn. Thought it was kind of cool. So, uh, and I thought it kind of play off this idea of branding. Rather than branding ourselves, what does God brand us to be? Right? Because when we know who our creator has made us to be, we will better know our true selves. We will know better than all the backpacking trips and all the eating, praying, loving that we can do. I mean, those things can help, but only God knows you at a level that you don't yet know yourself. Remember what God said to the prophet Jeremiah when he said, Jeremiah, I know you're only 16, but I want you to go and challenge the king and warn him about the empire. And he was like, uh, um, uh. No, he probably looked at God and said, I know, I know. No, that isn't what he said. But he did question, and God said, you know what? 
Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. You may not know that this is who you are. I do. So we find our true selves in the God who made our true selves. And what did God make us? Well, this week we're going to look at the idea of a new creation. God says we are a new creation. What does that mean? So we're going to look at 2 Corinthians 5. So listen along here. We'll start at verse 16. The Apostle Paul writes, From now on, therefore, we regard no one from a human point of view, even though we once knew Christ from a human point of view. We know we know him no longer in that way. So if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. You are a new creation. Sounds kind of nice. But then you go, what in the world does that mean? I mean, I kind of like myself as I am. I mean, I could shed a few of the pounds I packed on in COVID and you know, might like to improve my eyesight and clear my acne a little bit, but I don't think I was that bad, Jesus. You don't have to like completely, you know, fix me into something I'm not. And that's not at all what we're talking about here. God made you and God made you good and God made you in his image. You are not made bad. You are not, you know, some sort of defective thing that needs to be uh, uh, changed over wholesale. But you live in a world... Where we, where that we live in a world that is full of sin and greed and selfishness, and we have our own inherent sort of desires and selfishness, and you know, put that all together in one environment, and sometimes we don't always act and think in a very godly way. So that's what Paul starts out with here. Before he talks about who we are as a creation, he talks about how we don't see things the same way we used to see things. That we, that, that we don't value things in the same shallow way that the world does. That we don't look on people with the same values and judgments that the culture puts on us. So if you are in Christ, you're not supposed to see just another criminal. You're supposed to see a child of God who is as worthy of love as you. Instead of seeing somebody who you think is an irredeemable problem, you see a chance at redemption and a person of value and worth. Instead of seeing someone who's poor as morally bankrupt and irresponsible who needs to be judged and condemned and made to suffer, you see someone who God cares for going through a hard time in an unfair world. Instead of seeing a loser who isn't attractive enough to improve, to improve my reputation, you see a potential friend or a lover who has a lot to offer. Instead of seeing a kid who's a troublemaker, you might see someone crying out for help. You get the drift. You, when you take on Christ, the Holy Spirit is guiding your heart and it should change your perception. You should start to see people as valued and worthy, as much of God's love as you yourself. And if you're cold-hearted and calloused and unfeeling and unsympathetic to people's struggles, then you don't have the Holy Spirit in your heart. But when you do, it changes how you think. So God isn't coming in and wiping out your old self, like, a, like cleaning up a hard drive. He, it's more like he's cleaning up the self that's gotten covered with the selfishness and the ways of the world. It's like when you restore something old. 
like an old painting, and you get all the dust and the grime off it, and suddenly there's all these new colors there, like they did with the Sistine Chapel. I don't know if you remember that, you know, the Sistine Chapel, for centuries we thought the Sistine Chapel there in Rome was, you know, that Michelangelo, he'd painted the ceiling, incredible, incredible paintings. They thought he'd painted them with this dark, rich, kind of moody tone. And then they started peeling away the centuries and centuries of smoke from all the incense and all the fires lit for switching popes. And they pulled all that grime away painstakingly. And you know what they found? Bright pastels, pinks, blues, just these really bright colors that popped out. It was a new creation, like it was when it was new. And now it looks like new, but it was never remodeled. It was brought back to what Michelangelo intended it to be. God takes us and brings us back. The Apostle Paul goes on. He says, so if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. It's like he's looking at the people in his church in Corinth. And they've been noticing something's happening to them, right? That as they've become Christian, the world starts to look different to them. And people look different and things just don't seem the same. And Paul's looking and going, yeah, you may have noticed yourself being a little bit more kind and less judgmental and more accepting of the people you used to condemn. Well, let me tell you why. Because God has made all things new. I know for me, this idea of, being, of, be, of not being what everyone in the world told me I was was a very freeing thing. Because what people tell you about yourself is not always very kind. And they don't always even know you or, or what you're about or anything beyond what they see. And so when they call you things and label you, they're writing you off. But that stuff can stick like the grime on an old painting. But when, it, but when we become Christians, when we are baptized, God washes all that stuff away. He makes you new again. He frees you from being condemned by judgment and being caught up in it. And he frees you from being caught up in doing it. He frees you from, he frees your eyes to see people as children of God, loved by God. Not as pieces of meat to gratify yourself with. Not as tools to gain for your own success or steps on a ladder to step on so you can climb higher. Not as something worth only what you can get from someone, but as someone with an intrinsic worth like you really are happy that God values you as. When we are baptized, those labels get washed away and we get a clean start, a new life, and it is so freeing. In Jesus Christ, we are made a new creation. A new creation that is really what God has always intended us to be. Amen.